Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You that You loved us in such a way that You sent Your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. That's an act of love, Lord, we can never repay. And You don't ask us to. Lord, we praise You today. Acknowledging our sin before You, Lord, that if it were not for Your grace, we would forever be lost. But because You loved us, and You died on the cross, Lord Jesus, to redeem us and reconcile us to God, Lord, now we can love You, serve You, and live for You. Oh, Father, I pray that the good news of the gospel would pierce our hearts through and through. And Lord, that we would see the glory of the gospel and be so moved that every day of our lives would be lived to glorify your name by proclaiming your gospel in this world. Oh, Lord, give us a vision of your glory, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, continuing our series there. Philippians chapter 1, we're looking at verses 12 through 18a. 12 through 18a, the first part of verse 18. And looking at this morning, as we are in this study about discovering joy, we want to know how to discover joy in our own lives. And today we look at rejoicing in gospel expansion, rejoicing in gospel expansion, as we look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18a. And if you would, stand with me if you can, in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of His holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. And may He write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. What your heart is focused on 
can greatly affect how you handle different situations and circumstances in life. What you set your heart on, what your heart is focused on, can greatly affect how you deal with, how you handle different circumstances and situations within your life. The old Greek, the ancient Greek philosopher, moral philosopher Epicurus, uh, believed that when tragedy struck, he could still be happy if he turned his mind away from his unpleasant circumstances and concentrated on pleasurable thoughts. All right, so we, we can understand that, and we kind of take that and, and believe that as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about people, different people in your life, or think about yourself. Uh, are you a half-full, glass-half-full person or a glass-half-empty person? The person who focuses on their glass being half-full, it's half-full. They, they seem to have a, a more joyful demeanor about them. They're happy, and, and they can be happy in life, even though everything's not always joy and happiness. Their glass is halfway full. They're focusing on the positive, on the good things in life. Whereas you get the person who their glass is halfway empty. It's just empty. They focus on the bad. Oh, me. Oh, what today has. Oh, yeah. And they're focusing on the bad stuff. And so they always have this downward kind of demeanor, this depressive type of demeanor. Uh, I have some kinfolks who are like that. They always focus on the negative, and it's always, it's never happy. And there's never joy. It's always, oh, me, here's what's going on. Uh, you know, we can, if, if we focus our heart on the good things in life, on the blessings of life, then we're going to bring ourselves up. But if we spend all of our time focusing on every little problem, every little detail, every little thing that, that is going wrong about us, then we're always going to be bad because in this world there's plenty of bad to focus on. So what is your heart focusing on? Are you a glass half empty person or a glass half full person? If you're a glass half empty person, then you're going to constantly have the molly grubs. Right? You're just constantly going to have the molly grubs. We don't need to be, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't need to be a half glass, half empty type people. We have far much more joy in our lives, far much more good things in life to focus on than all the bad things. We have Jesus. And we need to focus on Jesus. We need to focus on the gospel. We have salvation in Jesus Christ. That's enough to bring you up no matter what's going on in your life. No matter what takes place in this life, this, when this life is over, you're going to heaven. You're going to be with Jesus. And in that, we can rejoice. Now think about Paul here. Paul demonstrates how focusing, on, uh, focusing your heart on something greater than yourself can greatly affect how you handle even the most difficult of situations and circumstances. He is in prison. And yet he finds reason to rejoice. Today, Paul teaches us this. A heart focused on gospel expansion can find joy in any situation that brings an opportunity for gospel declaration. Now let me say that again. A heart focused on gospel expansion 
can find joy in any situation that brings an opportunity for gospel declaration. Amen? Let's see how we, how we, we find that here in this patch, passage. First of all, as we begin to look at our passage today, if we want to rejoice in gospel expansion, if we're to do that, regardless of your situation and your circumstances, first of all, you need to take a divine perspective. You need to take a divine perspective on your life. I have a, a, a friend of mine, newfound friend, just got to know him not too long ago. I'm not going to say his name because I didn't ask his permission to tell this story, and y'all might know him, so I'm just going to leave his name out. But this young guy, he is a, a a godly guy, he loves the Lord, and there's never anything wrong with his life. I mean, he is always up. He is always happy. No matter what takes place in his life, he loves the Lord, and he looks to God, and he looks to the Lord's blessings and everything. One time not too long ago, uh, a part went out on his truck. He was driving down the highway. The part went out. He was stranded on the side of the road. He had to get his his truck hauled into the, the, uh, the mechanic there and come to find out his, I think it was his alternator or something like that, but we'll say his, his, his alternator. But his alternator went out. He's going to need a new alternator. This is going to be $900. Now, most of us would say, oh, $900. Man, I don't want to spend $900 right now. I, I got other things to spend. That but not, not this guy. Not this guy. He, he, he found the joy in the situation. Someone asked him, well, well what are you going to do? This is going to cost you $900. Yeah, but look, this is a blessing. This is really a blessing. Now I have a new alternator, and I don't have to worry about it again. He found the joy in it. He found the blessing, right? Most of us would have the mully grubs about that. Man, i got to spend $900. I don't want to spend this right now. But he found the joy in it. He found the blessing in it. You know, this young man, he understands, he has a divine perspective on life. He has a divine perspective on life. Just like Paul here has a divine perspective on life. Look at what Paul says here in this first verse, or, or first couple of verses. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And what has happened to him? He's been imprisoned. My imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I am in prison and I am rejoicing. I'm happy. Why? Because the gospel is advancing. He understands the divine perspective. He understands that God is always in control. God is always in control. If you want to have a divine perspective on life, then you must understand that God is always in control. He is in control of all things. Everything is in His control. Nothing is outside of His control. God, a sentence you'll never hear God say, Boy, I didn't see that one coming. He's not going to say that. He sees everything. He knows everything. He's not going to say, man, I just really didn't expect that. No, because he knows all, and he has power over all. He is always in control. Consider Jesus. 
When Jesus was with his disciples in that boat out there on the Sea of Galilee, and they were coming across the Sea of Galilee, and the storm struck, and Jesus was down in the bottom of the boat just... He was exhausted, he was tired, and he was just sleeping, getting a nap in. And all of his disciples, they were worried, worried, worried. Oh my goodness gracious, we're going to sink. They go wake Jesus up. Jesus, Jesus, do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus gets up. Man, what are you guys fussing about? Stands up, and he rebukes the wind, and he rebukes the waves. And what happens? They cease. The storm hears the word of God the Son, and it's over with. It's done. He is in control of all things. Well, now, what do you say then about the evil things that take place in the world? What about the flood that just took place and displaced uh, hundreds and thousands of families here in Louisiana? What do you say about that? God is always in control. He was in control of that storm, just like he is in control of every storm that comes across this land. God is always in control. He is always in control. Now, that doesn't mean that God is the author of evil. Scripture tells us that God is not the author of evil. He, does not, uh, he, he doesn't create evil. He doesn't tempt anyone to do evil things. But yet God still is in control. Sometimes he allows evil things to take place in this evil world. But you see, we have this great promise as followers of Jesus Christ that God works all things together for good for those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. That means all the storms that you face in life, God doesn't say that all the storms are good. God doesn't say that everything is good. But God says he makes this promise to you that he will work it together for your good if you love him. You follow after his son, Jesus Christ. He'll take the bad storm. He'll take the bad storms that you face in life. He'll take the evils that come into your life, and he will use them for your good. You may not understand it. You may never understand fully how he'll take that storm and how he used it for your good, this side of glory. You may never understand it, but you can trust God. His promises are true, faithful. He does not lie. And he says, I'll take whatever comes your way and I'll make it for your good. You love me, trust me. God is always in control. And furthermore, God always has a purpose. God always has a purpose. Now, last, last Sunday night, we, we talked about this a little bit as we began our series on uh, evangelism. And if you're, if you're not coming to Sunday night, you need to come on to Sunday night. I encourage you to come. It's a good time of, of discussion and Bible study, so come. We're talking about evangelism, but uh, come and be a part of that. But last week, we talked about God's purpose in history. God's purpose in history, all of history, you remember I said, all of history is his story. All of history is his story. It's the story of Jesus Christ. Because God has a purpose for all of history. We exist today. We walk and talk and have our being in this world today. History continues because God has a divine purpose. His purpose is to redeem a people for himself. 
Ever since Adam and Eve broke covenant with God, ever since Adam and Eve fell away from God and rebelled against him, even though God said, on the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die, what happened? Did they surely die? Not then. Not then. God could have wiped all of humanity out right there in those two people. He could have ended it all. But God had a greater purpose in mind, and he began at that moment to begin to redeem a people for himself. We exist today. We continue to make history today because of God's purpose. All of this, everything that's going on in this world, it's his story. It's all for the purpose of Jesus Christ. We exist for Jesus' sake. We exist for his sake and for his glory. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, catch this, all things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All history exists because God had a purpose. God has a purpose. Redeem a people for himself. He allowed history to continue on after Adam and Eve because he knew that he was going to send his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live the perfect life. A life that Adam and Eve failed to live. A life that none of us ever are able to live. But Christ came and lived the perfect life. And he died on the cross to redeem a people unto God. Paying the penalty for our rebellion and our rejection of God. Jesus Christ came and bore our sins there on the cross. And as we'll praise next Sundays. We'll celebrate next Sunday. He was raised again after three days showing that we are justified in Him. There's nothing left to pay. There's no penalty left. He paid it all and He was raised again promising us if we trust in Him, if we believe in Him, then we are justified in God's sight. We are redeemed. We are reconciled to God. That's the purpose of all of history. If we want to rejoice in gospel expansion, if we want to have joy in our lives, then we need to take the divine perspective on life and understand that God is always in control and He always has a purpose. That is to proclaim the gospel from to all the ends of the earth and reconcile a people unto himself. Let God's purpose, dear friend, be your purpose. So, 
We need to take a divine perspective. And second, we need to pursue gospel expansion. We need to pursue gospel expansion. Notice here in verse 13 again, so that it has been known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, back in those days, back when Paul was there in prison in Rome, uh, they didn't always, my understanding, they didn't always you know, put people down in the deep, dark dungeons. If, if it was a person that was not a, 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 you know, a, a lifelong uh, offender and wasn't uh, harmful to anyone, sometimes what they would do is they would put them on a kind of a house arrest. And many scholars believe that that's what Paul was, uh, was in during his first Roman imprisonment. He was on house arrest. Well, being on house arrest, though, meant that there were soldiers there all the time. They didn't have the little GPS bracelets that they have these days. So they had to have something else attached to the prisoner, and that was a Roman soldier. And so Paul was chained typically to a Roman soldier day in and day out. He, he had, was chained up to these guys. Now, can you imagine being chained, chained up to Paul? Day in and day out. This, this missionary who was on fire with the gospel, he had been called to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and here he is, he is chained to these soldiers. What do you think Paul did? You think he talked about sports? You think he was talking about what was going to take place in the next uh, Athenian games? No, he talked about the gospel. He talked about the gospel, and he talked about the gospel so much that everyone in all the imperial guard, that is all of Caesar's guard there in Rome, knew that why Paul was under arrest. He was there for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They all knew the gospel because Paul made sure they knew the gospel. Paul was focused on the gospel. If we want to pursue gospel expansion we want to see the joy of gospel proclamation and gospel expansion we must pursue gospel expansion that means that we must stay gospel centered we must stay gospel centered just like paul he was gospel centered he ate drank lived the gospel every day was another day to tell someone about jesus he was gospel centered are you gospel centered are you that focused on Christ that every day you're looking, who, who's somebody else I can speak just a little bit of the gospel into? That's what Paul did. We must be, if we want to pursue gospel expansion, we must stay gospel-centered. And furthermore, we must look for open doors. We must look for open doors. That is, look for opportunities. Here's that word that I love, intentionality. We must live with intentionality. Right? we got to live focused on the gospel. Our lives are gospel-centered, and we're looking. We're living with intentionality. We're looking at our lives, and, and how, can I, how can I pursue the gospel today? How can I tell someone the gospel today? How can I speak a little bit of the gospel in someone's life? That doesn't mean that every day you're going out, going out through your neighborhood, knocking on doors, and, and asking that, well, where, you know, if you die today, where do you think you're going to go? It doesn't mean that you do that all the time, but it means that you're living in such a way that you're always aware of who's around you. You're doing things that would, might make people ask questions. You know, why are you so happy? 
Why do you live with such joy? Why even though your alternator goes out, you say, praise God? Why is that in your life? Why are you like that? Because of Jesus. You see, it's like that simple. We just always live to glorify Him, and people will notice, and people will start asking you, why are you the way you are? And you can say, because of Jesus. We are going to rejoice in gospel expansion. We must take a divine perspective, and we must pursue gospel expansion. This is how we love our world through gospel-centered service. We're going out looking for people to serve with the joy gospel. Third, we pursue the gospel expansion, and then we encourage gospel expansion. We must encourage gospel expansion. The uh, Tertullian, excuse me, Tertullian, I get his name right. Tertullian, a, uh, one of the early church fathers, once said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Hear that? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now, Tertullian lived in a time period where there were a lot of Christian martyrs. The Roman Empire had kind of put their sights on Christians and they were beginning to hunt Christians down and Tertullian was one of the great apologists uh, of his time who who wrote uh, being an apologist means that he was defending the faith not apologizing for it but he defended the faith and what he would do he would write these letters to the emperor and other high officials defending the faith and and trying to show them how how Christianity wasn't a threat to the state, but actually an improvement for the state, uh, uh, something good for the state to have. And so he was writing this apology, and he had this statement that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And you know, it's, it's interesting that throughout history, when we see church history and consider church history, some of the greatest times of gospel expansion is with, when Christians are under the greatest amount of persecution. Can you imagine that? It's not in the good times. It's not when, when Christianity is kind of kicking it back and taking it easy. That's what we're in right now. And look at America. Right? You don't see a lot of people living for Christ. You don't see a lot of people focused day in and day out about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's easy to be a Christian. But when persecution comes, that's when people take their, take their faith seriously and they begin to dig in more and true believers begin to share their faith more. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. Persecution comes and the gospel explodes. <laughs> There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. And even Paul here, he is under persecution for the church. And, and even though he is in per, under persecution because of the gospel, he is seeing the expansion of the gospel. Look in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, there's something taking place here. There's something that's taking place here that's just almost unconceivable to us. Paul is encouraging gospel expansion by being an example 
to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are on the outside. So we, if we're going to encourage gospel expansion, one way that we do that, you do it by your example, by your example, by living out your faith before other believers. Paul is living out his faith before other believers, and even though he has come under persecution, even though he is in jail, he's continuing to live out his faith. He's not letting his situation get him down. He's not getting the molly grubs over this. He's focusing on the gospel. And he's being an example to those who are on the outside. Look at Paul. Right? Look at Paul. We've seen these type of instances take place in life too. People began to look at someone with great courage. And what does that do? That sparks more courage in, in other people. Military, you see this a lot of times on the battlefield. One man stands up and takes the charge, and what happens? A whole group of men take off after him because that one man's courage was an example to the rest, and they all got encouraged by that and pressed forward on the battle lines. It can be the same in the church. We have one person who will stand up and take the gospel to the masses Proclaim Christ and be an example. That person might turn around and find a whole bunch of more folks falling in right after him. We encourage gospel expansion by your example. Second, you, you encourage gospel exa- expansion by your testimony. You encourage gospel expansion by your testimony. Now, Understand, I didn't ask Robert to, to come up here and say what he said a while ago. God's in control, right? He came up and he gave his testimony. He gave him a testimony. And I don't know about you, but as I was sitting there listening to Robert, I was encouraged. And it kind of encouraged me. Man, I need to, I need to get out and, and witness more. I need to, to proclaim the gospel more. That's an encouragement. Share your story. As you go out and live the gospel, as you begin to share Christ with others, as you begin to see people converted to Christ, then share that. I hope to see that more and more in the church here. We go out and we carry the gospel out to our world as we love our world through gospel service and we begin to see little victories here and there. I hope more and more of you will share your testimony we would all more get encouraged for gospel expansion. So we find joy in gospel expansion if we take a divine perspective in life, if we pursue gospel expansion with our lives, if we encourage gospel expansion in the lives of others, and finally, if we rejoice in gospel proclamation. If we rejoice and gospel proclamation. Look here at that last little paragraph there. Or let me, let me start back on verse 14 and then read all the way through that next paragraph. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, 
not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. We must rejoice in gospel proclamation. Paul here is rejoicing in gospel proclamation. That means uh, rejoice in, pro- in gospel proclamation, whether it is, even when it's by a cooperative spirit. You rejoice in gospel proclamation when it is by a cooperative spirit. That is, that second half, they do it out of joy. They do it out of goodwill towards Paul. It's that cooperative spirit. Think about when the flood came and we we were housing those who were displaced down here in the Family Life Center. What we saw, we saw other churches coming in and cooperating with us. They had a cooperative spirit. They, they, they weren't here to, to get glory or anything like that. They were here to help and to, to cooperate with us, to join us in the work of pouring out the love of Christ on others. That's a cooperative, cooperative spirit. We should have that spirit about us as we see the gospel proclaimed by those churches. When we hear about Green Acres baptizing people, when we hear about uh, North Monroe and Bastrop here uh, reaching people with the gospel of Christ, when we hear about Benita Road Baptist Church having uh, uh, wonderful services and people coming to know the Christ, when we hear all about all these other churches here in town, we shouldn't look at that and say, oh my goodness, we got to get to work. No, what we should be saying is, praise God. Praise God, they're preaching the gospel and people are coming to Christ through their ministry. Let's join with them. Let's get together with them and partner with them to move the gospel across this city and across this parish. I praise God when my brothers, fellow preachers here in Bastrop come telling me about how many people came to know the Lord through this revival or or this meeting or I praise God. I praise God that other people are here working the cause of the gospel and people are coming to know Christ. And I know many of them praise the same God for when we have great victories here as well. We rejoice in gospel proclamation by a cooperative spirit and even still we, we rejoice in gospel proclamation even when it's by a competitive spirit even when it's by a competitive spirit that's the ones here some indeed preach christ out of envy and rivalry you know they they the former they proclaim christ out of selfish ambition not not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment these guys now understand these guys who are preaching this gospel these are not false teachers Need to understand that? We don't rejoice in, in the proclamation of false gospels. We don't, enjoy, we don't rejoice in the proclamation of, of false religions. That's not what Paul's saying here. In fact, later on in chapter 3, he's going to address Judaizers. That was these people who, who taught Christ plus the law. It's not Christ plus anything. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ. And so these guys, even though they're, they're proclaiming the gospel on not such good motives, 
They have bad motives, yet they're preaching the gospel, and the gospel's going out, and people are being saved regardless of the fact of, regardless of their motives. And Paul says, what then? Only that Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You see, there's a lot of, there's going to be other churches out here. We've got many who are, have a cooperative spirit, and, and they join us in in the gospel proclamation. But there's others out there that they see this as a competition. They see it as a competition, and, and, and they would rather see First Baptist of Bastrop fail. They look at this big building up here on this hill, and they think about the history of this church, and, and maybe they, they look and they, they want to see First Baptist fail. They would like to see this, this building empty. Yet they're preaching the gospel. Their motives are wrong, but they're preaching the gospel. What do we say? If the gospel is being preached and they're seeing people come to Christ, I'm going to praise God for what they're doing in their proclamation of the gospel. I'm not going to rejoice in their motives, but I'm going to rejoice when lost sinners come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I don't care how it's getting out there, but the gospel's getting out there and people are coming to know Christ, and in that I rejoice. We'll never get caught up in this competition game. We're always going to be cooperative with those who are proclaiming the gospel, and when we see the lost come to Christ, we will rejoice and celebrate because another soul has entered the kingdom of God. Rejoice when the gospel is proclaimed and the loss come to Christ. We should always celebrate gospel expansion. Always celebrate gospel expansion. Dear friend, the day of the Lord is drawing near. We're coming to the end. I mean, just look at our world. Look, go, go read Revelation and then look at our world. It, it, the end is drawing near. It is coming up on us. And many in the world are without the hope of the gospel. See that map there? Now, you can't see it very clear, I know, there. It's not very clear. If you want to come by, I've got this map hanging on my wall, and I'm very happy with my map because I look at that map, and there, there's some little dots all over that map, and, and little green dots indicate that the, the gospel witness is prevalent in, in those countries. And you begin to look at the United States, and you see a, a lot of green. But then there's little yellow dots and red dots and dark maroon dots that, that you begin to look at other places in the world, places like India, Saudi Arabia, places in Africa, around in China. You look at all those red dots and all those red dots indicate places where there's very little, if any, gospel witness. And day in and day out, I look at that map and I think, that look at all the people who are dying without Christ. Look at all the people. How can we get so caught up in our little petty little concerns in our little world here when so many people are dying and going to hell? Don't rejoice 
in the petty things of this world. Rejoice when the Gospel expands across this globe. People come to know Christ. Let that be your focus. Let that be your goal in life to see more and more people come to know Christ. And you will find great joy one sinner comes to know Jesus. We must seek joy of the Gospel expanding across our world. A heart focused on Gospel expansion can find joy in any situation or circumstance that brings an opportunity for opportunity for gospel experience. Some of you are going through some difficult times in your life right now. And you could get the mully grubs about your situation and your circumstance being focused on the bad, or you can look for opportunities to share the gospel. And reflect the joy of Jesus Christ and use even your bad situation to claim His glory. When you proclaim His glory, let me promise you, friend, you will find joy. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, let us not be so focused on the bad things of this world. Lord, there's so many bad things that we could focus on. We live in an evil world. But Lord, even though we're in the world, we're not of the world. As followers of Jesus Christ, and so we can rejoice knowing who our Lord is. And that You, Lord, have already won the victory. Oh, Father, let us rejoice in Gospel expansion. And let Your purpose be our purpose in our lives, Lord, to see the Gospel proclaimed and spread across this celestial ball. So that Your name might be lifted up praised. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now perhaps you're here today and you don't know the joy of gospel expansion because you've never known the gospel. All this has been kind of Greek to you. You don't understand it. But you're here today and you know that you need Jesus in your life. If you don't understand it fully, then I invite you to come. I'd like you to come. I'd like to talk to you more about it.